Hey guys, welcome to the Happy Haven Podcast once again. Uh, this episode we have Heather Wixon, also known as the Horror Chick. She is the managing editor for Daily Dead News and the author of Monster Squad Effects book. Uh, basically we geek out on what it's like to write a book and have a really cool publisher that kind of lets you do your own thing. And then one big giant nerdy conversation about horror movies afterwards. So enjoy guys. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Heather Wixon, and I am the managing editor for DailyDead.com. I have been working in the world of horror entertainment for a little over 10 years now, and I recently just put out my very first book, which is called Monster Squad, Celebrating the Artists Behind Cinema's Most Memorable Creatures, where I sit down and talk in depth with 20 different special effects artists who came up during the modern golden age of special effects, uh, primarily the 70s through the 2000s. And basically, at the core of it, I'm just a big, horror-loving geek who just got super, super lucky. Yay! That's, I mean, that that's me too. I started the show on my own with, like, a guy I'd never met in person because the internet's wonderful for that, and he was in another state, and I was, and yeah, I hear you on the getting lucky. Yeah, like, technology brings us all together. So so what got you, I mean, did you just love horror movies forever? And, you know, with with the way content creation is now, you were able to find, like, a slot and plug in and start from there, or... You know, it was it was weird because like, um, you know, as I mentioned, when we were talking like I grew up in a single parent house and back in the good old days, like parents would just bring their kids to movies because they couldn't afford babysitters. Mm -hmm. So one of my very first sort of memories in a theater um, was seeing American Werewolf when I was three. So I'm old, <laughs> but I, I vividly remember having this weird moment of watching on a movie, like on the screen and seeing the movie theater screen and not comprehending like, well, is that happening here? Because we were in a movie theater. And I remember that was like one of the most effective moments of that film for me because that stuck with me like since I was three. And I also remember like seeing Blazing Saddles at the drive-in. Um, so I just was always seeing the stuff my mom wanted to see. And I think uh, her love sort of trickled down and became my love over the years because she mm -hmm. grew up sort of watching Dark Shadows and stuff like that. Um, and, and so I was really fortunate to grow up in a time where we weren't sort of completely controlling everything our kids watch. I mean, obviously, there's there's a it's good to sort of be aware of what your kids are watching. Um, well, definitely. I'm a daddy to two girls. Um, yeah. I, 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 I am the only male in my house, so... You know, that, the stuff we were talking about earlier when, you know, I said my wife laughs at feminism. Um, I'm not a misogynist at all. I can't be. They'll, they'll kill me. Yeah. In the backyard. <laughs> I'll be in the grill. Like, you know, rack of misogynist daddy covered in barbecue sauce. Yeah, you're you're going to have your hands full uh, in the future for sure. It's amazing. Um, but, yeah. But, yeah, like, so I just sort of kept finding more horror movies to fall in love with as a kid um you know i had my best friend her parents i was always at her house and her parents were super into sci-fi so i'd always be watching like you know alien or uh the thing or we'd be watching star trek um and i just was fortunate enough to sort of grow up in an environment where 
you know, pretty much almost anything I wanted to, to watch within, you know, reason, my mom was like, okay. Um, and there was just two that I was, that was absolutely the no-no movies, and it was Texas Chainsaw and The Exorcist, because my mom believed The Exorcist was real. Um, and I think she still does, which is fine. I mean, um, it's supposed to be based off, not what happened to her, like not the movie itself, but isn't it supposed to be based off of some, um, like a real exorcism? But I think it was supposed to be, it was a boy. Um, like, the, yeah, or whatever I inspired it. Yeah, like it yeah. was inspired by a true story or something like yeah. that. And it was a boy that was, that was possessed and... Whatever. Yeah, my parents didn't let me watch that movie, but that's mostly because, um, not for any religious overtones. Um, my dad has a problem. Well, he did. He doesn't now. But he had a problem when we were kids with language. Um, Rated R was kind of out for us. We always had to sneak around to a friend's house or, you know, say we were going to one movie and then buy the ticket and then go to the other movie. Um, I remember there I've been being, there. <laughs> yeah, I remember there being like contract negotiations for me to be able to watch Terminator 2 when I was a kid. Um, I'm almost 40, so, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I do remember those days. Um, I, for me, it was always like I would always get the sex scenes would get sort of um, like my, my best friend's dad, like basically like I remember we went and saw The Fly at the drive-in <laughs> and... There's this scene with them on the chair, and all of a sudden her dad, like, jumps in front of us, and he's like, what's going on? And he's trying to, like, dance in front of the screen. I was like, you know, you're interrupting this really great, you know, and I'm like a kid, but I knew Jeff Goldblum was the shit back then. So, you know, I was like, yeah. Um, and it was just like, so there was those scenes that would get sort of, you know, censored for us. But language, I mean, you know, it. I, I, I don't know. I guess it's because I grew up in an in a environment of potty mouths sort of. Um, right. Nobody really cared about it, but uh, it wasn't even gore or anything like that, too, because like, I saw the thing when I was like five, um, which really messed me up and made me terrified of dogs for most of my childhood. <laughs> uh, and I'm not joking either. I, I also got, yeah, Cujo did that for me. Yeah, I got bit by one of the neighbor's dogs like a couple times over the years, too, so I, oh. it took me a really long time to warm up to dogs. Uh, no offense, because I have a dog now, but, um, no, but yeah. No, Cujo threw me off for a while. <laughs> but yeah, so I just basically, you know, always loved horror movies, uh, and I always loved writing, but I didn't really put those two together until probably about like ten and a half years ago. Um, basically, I was kind of going through, I, I guess, my midlife crisis, I guess. I, it hit me when I turned 30, I suppose, and I just realized like the life I was living wasn't the life I should be living, and right. I spent most of my adult existence at that point sort of being the prop for somebody else's goals and and dreams and things they wanted to do and I had like nothing for myself like oh I had a house cool I have a job cool that's what everybody has you know what's for me right. um, and I was at uh, flashback weekend in Chicago uh, in 2007 and I remember sitting there with my now ex-husband um, and it was the year that Adam Green was going around and talking about Hatchet before it was released. And he told this really great story about, you know, staying inspired and really following your dreams and how he wrote a letter to Dee Snyder when he was a kid. And, you know, eventually, some odd years later, Dee Snyder's basically walking him down the red carpet at his very first movie premiere, you know, and was like, you know, if there's something you really want to do and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, to do it. And I was like, okay, well, what, how do I even do this? 
And that's when I started to realize, like, you know, there was, like, the online horror culture. Um, mm-hmm. Not to be confused with online horticulture. Um, but, like, beyond, like, ain't it cool? Like, I didn't really know, like, websites were a thing as much as they were then. Right. Um, because it was still very, very new, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, our generation, like, watched the birth of the Internet. Yeah, we've like, watched the birth of a lot of things, too. Right, like, kind kids of today... If you they told no them, idea. like, yeah, there was a time when none of this existed. You only got previews from movie trailers and special magazines that came out. Like, I remember buying the special edition Jurassic Park magazine because it had never-before-seen footage. There was no Red Band trailer for movies. There was no this and that. For It was all like, and if you missed it on you missed TV, it. you missed it. Like, yeah, I, I don't think kids could survive. If you plunked them down in the middle of the 80s, they'd have a breakdown. They, they would. They would be so bored to tears because there wouldn't be that constant stimulation. And they'd have to go out and find their own constant stimulation, which is what most of us did. Um, but, yeah, so I basically realized, like, okay, so I want to write about horror. How the hell do I even do that? Because, you know, I basically grew up, like, writing, you know, through junior high and high school and a little bit in college. Um, but I kind of put it all in the back burner, and I'd been doing some local writing um, back when I used to live in Illinois for, like, a local paper. Um, but you can only just get so excited about covering, like, budget meetings and, you know, writing about the brand-new sidewalk that's coming in, woohoo. Um, and I was just like, I was bored to death. I'm like, this isn't what I want to do. Like, I want to write, but this isn't it. Um, and then I came across an ad on Craigslist for this website called TerrorTube, uh, which might still, like, the site might actually still be out there, but we haven't posted in, like, five or so years, or maybe six or seven at this point. Um, who, for, you know, it was this guy, Fabian, who was starting it up and looking for reviewers. Um, and he didn't, you know, he didn't have to give me a chance or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I sent him an email, and thankfully he was like, yeah, let's let's work together. And so I started off doing, like, just regular reviews for him. Um, and then as I got... Like sort of more ingrained with this, like one of the people that I reached out to, or you know, originally was Adam Green, and I thanked him, you know, for telling his story because it inspired me. And he was like sort of one of the first real interviews I got to do, and because of him, then I got in contact with like the publicist over at Anchor Bay. Oh, so wow. I started, yeah. So it was like it's all started to kind of move um, forward, which was nothing I ever expected. Like, I just thought I'd be somebody who wrote movie reviews. Uh, and I, the funny thing is, is, like, I would actually rather do interviews than reviews. So it's fortunate that it worked out the way that it did. Um, so basically, like, I just I worked with Teratu for a few years. And then one of the movies that I had been working, uh, doing a bunch of different pieces on that uh, Adam was involved with was heading to Sundance. And I was like, man, that would be really cool to go to Sundance. But, like, how does somebody like me go to Sundance? Um, I wasn't stupid enough to even think of, like, applying for press credentials because, like, come on, right? So I basically, I used to do these, like, jewelry parties where, like, ladies would come to your home and throw, like, a jewelry party and, like, Tupperware but with jewelry. Um, And so I still had an office job at this point in Chicago, and I basically sold it all off um, so that way I could pay for my airfare, pay for my hotel, you know, and my car rental while I was while I was out in Utah, and I, ba- you know, I went and bought a couple tickets for different movies that I wanted to see while I was there, and I basically set myself to to Sundance, you know, completely independent, and because of that, 
then I uh, ended up being on uh, the radar for Dread Central, um, which was kind of a shock because, you know, I was I figured you sort of had to work up to that point. Um, and now I realize in, in retrospect, like it, it, it's all the same. We're all in the same playing field. Like people, mm-hmm. there, there are no playing. It's all we're all in this big pool of, of craziness together. And, you know, there's nobody should be afraid of a of website because of their quote unquote position. Um, but it was a big deal. Like I was really excited and right around that time, like my divorce was being finalized. Um, from my day job and I had a basic, I had a, um, job interview lined up for a trip out to California just on a whim. I was already planning to come out for my birthday and I ended up landing a regular day job and I had to come home and in five days, pack up my stuff and move to LA, which was crazy because I'd only, I'd only ever lived in Illinois for like 30, you know, something years. So I was like, holy crap, like I'm really doing this. And I stayed with, with Dread for almost five years and then was just kind of looking to do something different um, because I just had gotten burned out a little bit on the content that I was doing over there. It wasn't fun for me anymore. And I wanted a new challenge. And for me, Daily Dead was really cool because they were just sort of really kind of coming up. Um, I had met my boss, Jonathan, like at Comic-Con one year. And it's it's kind of crazy because, like as I sort of say, that, that snobbery that sometimes websites have. When I met him, I think it was Comic-Con 2011, I want to say. And it was his first Comic-Con. And I remember him telling me after the fact that that year, not a single person other than me even bothered to talk to him amongst, like, the press people. Really? Yeah, the whole time at Comic-Con, I was like, wow, what a bunch of jerks we are. We need to be better about that. We're all in the same boat. I don't care who you work for. Um, but so I was, you know, it was one of those situations where I was like, you know, I, I need to sort of shake it up. And, and it's been amazing to be over there for almost five years now. Um, we've grown by leaps and bounds. Like, we're right up there. And because of kind of finding my confidence confidence against with with daily dead like that's when i realized like you know maybe it's time to do this book thing um and i never in a billion billion years would have like thought i could do a book because you know it seemed like that's the thing that stephen king does normal people can't do that but i did and you know and it's been really cool like to be able if you would if i had a time machine and i could go back and tell you know eight-year-old me who's drawing pictures of fright night and her like end of year uh project that she has to do for second grade and getting in trouble from her teacher like that this is going to pay off one day i would have never believed it like i would have never imagined in any context like other than reading fangoria magazine that someday there would be a way to be able to be a fan of horror and still support it in a professional manner, if that makes sense. Totally. That totally makes sense. Um, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I started this for the same reason. Like, you know, I have a family, and we have the, you know, both of us work, and we have the two cars, and the townhouse, and the kids, and the this, and the that, and I love them to pieces, and everything else, but I have always been a gigantic nerd, um, like full love for things. And I started to feel like, well, it's always just going to be something that, that I like to the side. And, you know, I've written forever. Um, and I've never had the, um, stones to try to push anything that I've written ever. 
And um, like for Christmas this year, my wife got me a micro recorder because I think of stories faster than I can write them. And I kind oh, that's of, smart. Yeah, I kind of burned myself out. Yeah, so she got me something that I can literally, basically, just crazily talk to myself um, with with ideas. And so, I mean, I, I I really just started the podcast so that I could have something that plugged me into something to a culture that I've always loved but never really jumped into. You know, um, so not to your level, but I understand. I understand completely what what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough hustle, and realistically, like none of us are getting real, you know, rich off of any of this. Like, no. you know, I'm not I'm not getting my yacht anytime soon. You know, I pay my rent, so I feel somewhat okay about that. But you know, I mean, the, the struggle will always be there because the the game changes in this industry. Like every couple of months, you know, people that you know sites that were key players are no longer key players. You know. Advertising gets harder to come by. It's it's a tough business, and I don't say that like I'm doing like I'm grandstanding like we're doing anything like remotely remo- you know remotely remarkable. Uh, we're not curing cancer or anything like that. But you know when the world feels like a big pile of crap around you all the time, like it's nice to have that escape, and it's nice to be able to have that escape within your job mm-hmm. because not a lot of po- not a lot of folks are afforded that. Uh, and I feel very fortunate in that way that you know I. You know, I mean, not to say that I'm never going to have to get a real job again, because it's funny, like, this is a real job, but it doesn't feel like a real job. Like, I still pinch myself every day that I'm like, whoa, this is this is like a thing. Like, this is a thing I get to do. And I never in a billion years would have expected it could have happened. So, yeah. So how is the uh, how is the journey of getting a book published? Like, I've talked to comic book artists and. And comic book writers and screenwriters um, and stuff, but like, something that's completely yours, not a legacy character. Like, you know, if you write for comics, it's going to get published. You got hired yeah. by the publisher to write a thing that they publish monthly or, you know, however many times a year. So, but writing a yeah. book completely independently, that's, that's different. It's weird because, like, I. I don't want to like downplay the process because I know everybody has like a different process. Um, but it was surprisingly easy uh, hmm. in the, in the fact that one, when I realized I wanted to do this um, in the inspiration first, you know, one, I've always been a huge fan of special effects artists. Um, you know, I kind of grew up a monster kid that really couldn't make a lot of things. So, for me, I, what, the one thing that always I carried with me from, like, even high school journalism was my teacher said to me, like, everybody has a story. Right. And, you know, for me, like, I always want to hear people's stories, which is always, that's why it's weird for me to do an interview because I'm more like, well, how about you? Um, so I've always been very invested in other people's stories. And I realized, like, with special effects artists, like, I wanted to make sure, like, they had... They were had somewhere that they could they could share their stories where it wasn't just you know oh here's um, you know how do you do this effect how do you do that effect like I wanted it to be about them so right. uh, like two years ago I had done a thing um, where I had interviewed the guy who who created Johnny Five from Short Circuit and it found out, like he had like this whole backstory of like he used to be in the military and just time. 
things for the military, and that's how, like, he got his start um, in terms of then, like, well, I'm going to take this over to Hollywood. And for me, that was, like, completely fascinating. Right. You don't really hear about that kind of stuff. Um, and so it just kind of was like, oh, that's something interesting. And then I was like, well, all right, if I'm going to do this, like, I realize I have no prior sort of material to, like, go to a publisher like DK or some big publisher and be like, hey, you know, publish my book. They'd be like, who are you? Like, why are you bothering us? Um, so I knew for the first one that I wanted to do it, one, on my own terms, and two, work with, like, a publisher that I knew was going to be sort of friendly to what I was, you know, friendly to the concept that I was I was kind of throwing at them. Right. Um, and that's why I went with Bear Manor, because they had done a lot of different genre, you know, sort of centric books with people I knew, um, and I just knew that they would kind of let me do my thing, and they did. Um, and I think the one thing, like, you know, when people are saying, oh, it's, it's got to be, like, impossible, like, well, and they're self-publishing. That's a, that's a wholly, you know, viable avenue for people to embark on if they want to do a book. Um, I just, because of all the other things that I have to manage in my life, like, I just couldn't manage that, too. Um, but I think the most important thing is, is like, when you're thinking about these things, it's like, make sure it hasn't been done already. Because if it has been done, then you have to figure out how to position yourself. Well, how do I make it different? Um, and thankfully for this, nobody had really done this. Like we have books about sort of the monsters themselves or the making of these monsters. But nobody was taking the time to let people sort of tell, tell their journey, you know, their stories, you know, being on these sets. And, you know, because when you're an artist, you know, for as much as, you know, you, you put your inspirations into a creation, you also sort of take a piece of it with you. Um, and I right. just was, you know, and for me, that was super fascinating. So I, I honestly, I just sent them an email and I was like, hey, I'd like to do this and I'd like to work with you. And thankfully, he was like within like three hours, I got an email back saying, yes, let's do it. And then I had to figure out what that all meant. <laughs> so right. it was, but, and I, I, you know, I had no idea. Like, I've never published anything like that on that sort of level before. Um, and it's all been a complete learning experience for me because, you know, just it's not even just, again, the writing of the book. It's the managing of all the different aspects. Um, and it's been it's been a huge learning experience for me. Not only one has it improved me as like an interviewer and a writer, um, but I've also had to sort of really work on like time management and people management and stuff. And I would have never expected that going into this, that somehow this would make me way more effective with my, my calendar of all things. <laughs> right. Well, that's it. No, that's that bonus skill that you get sometimes when you go on a quest, you know. You... Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's the, uh, the, the little, uh, you lift up the rock and you find a special key or something. Exactly. Well, hold on, I'm re-plugging my computer in. I was feeding the dog. I do the show on a laptop for reasons like that. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that, that's awesome, though, that, that you just, like, reached out and somebody was like, yeah. Now, see, like, what, what you were saying, like, looking for an angle that hadn't been done before, that's, that's always been my... Like, that's always been my um, holdback thing for myself is, you know, I'll, I'll write something and then be like, well, it's not very original. It's it's a story that, you know, people are going to know that you've loved this, 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 and this certain franchise. And, 
that's where this came from, and it's going to be generic, and da 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 da. So, um, yeah, I think. I think it's, why, it's, and to speaking that, that's why I don't do creative writing because I just I see so many things like you know because I probably watch close to three hundred movies a year. There's no way I could have an original thought in my head at this point because I've been so influenced by all the things that I've seen. Where I'm like, oh, this would be a genius thing, and I'd be like, but it's just like this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. Like, I, my hat is off to anybody who does sort of what I consider, like, real creative writing, um, you know, because it's that's a tough gig, and I don't know how people do it. Right. But, um, so, you got to interview all these people. For, yeah. Was it people that you had, had been in contact with through the website before, or was this just you on your own finding them for your book? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, right. I had a, a few years ago. I had done um, this thing called Stan Winston Week on Daily Dead, nice. um, because you know Stan was was sort of one of the big guys from the eighties, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, when you're behind things like you know Jurassic Park or Batman Returns or even you know the Crazy Alligator and Lake Placid or Monster Squad, like clearly there's you know something special there, and of course you know as far as amazing and great and uh as stan was you know he also had a really fantastic team of artists that he consistently relied on you know through all of these different movies um and so through the experiences with stan winston week i um got to know like tom woodruff jr and alec gillis um because we'd done a few interviews over the years and they were the first two that i approached and i was like well if i can't get these guys on board like i'm done like then I should just pack it in because I've got no hope at this point. Uh, and thankfully they were like, yeah, that's, that sounds awesome. Um, so they were sort of the first two, uh, that I had known previously that were like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And then another one was also, uh, Tony Gardner, um, who I had recently done an interview with as a zombie, um, for scouts guide, uh, uh, scouts guide to the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. I went, yeah, I went to his shop for a day, and they made us up as zombies, and then we got a chance to interview Tony as a zombie, which was really cool. Uh, and he was, like, the nicest guy ever. Um, and admittedly, like, you know, when I first actually moved out to L.A., like, I, that job that I got that sort of got me here, like, I lost it within a few months. Um, and I ended up actually working at a special effects shop, which was, like, the greatest and worst thing ever because it was so cool to be there. But then my boss turned out to be, like, a horrible person. (laughs) So, you know, so it was one of those things, like, where people turned out to be nice was, like, a pleasant surprise for me, Um, which is really sad, uh, really a sad thing to admit. Um, But, yeah. Yeah, A lot of stuff out there seems kind of gross. Yeah, you know. To me, I guess. You know, it's it's Hollywood. It's, you know, it's a challenge some days. Um, But, yeah. It's kind of icky, like it smells a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, but I'm, you know, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not completely in Hollywood. I'm like, I'm Hollywood adjacent, so I'm okay. Um, but yeah, so Tony was really cool about doing it, and then I just started going through literally like all of my favorite movies ever and making lists and just sending mm. email after email after email. Like, I can't even tell you, like, for as you know, as grateful as I am to the the first twenty folks that said yes. Like, I probably got at least 50 emails that never got answered. I got probably at least half of that was that were official no's. 
and probably another 10 to 15 people that were like, yeah, that sounds great. And then I never heard from them again. Um, so it was, you know, it was an uphill battle. Like it took a good chunk of time to do it. Uh, and, but it was, it was so rewarding in that way that like one, I knew I was taking a lot away from the experience, um, in terms of being able to do this. Um, and two, the fact that these folks would like actually trust me essentially with their life stories, um, because, you know, I go all the way back to the beginning, like is a huge, huge honor. Um, and I'm still kind of like, wow, you guys really let me do this. Thank you. You know? And as I kept, you know, reaching out to people, like eventually like it started to snowball a little bit where I realized like suddenly I was at like 34 interviews and I was like, holy crap, how am I going to write a book with like 35 interviews in it? Like, you know, I'm going to turn into like an 800 page book and my publisher who hasn't really given me any guidelines, but that's a ridiculous book. You know, um, I know this, like I, you know, I can make it through like 500 pages pretty well, but I'm like, once you get to like 700, you're like, really? Like, can we just wrap this up? Um, so I went to him and I was like, well, how about what if we turn this into two? So that way we don't have to edit anybody's stories down. We don't have to like truncate anything and we can just let everybody have their moment. Uh, and he was like, okay, that sounds great. So I'm already like 15 or 16 interviews into book two. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that's at least awesome. that's good. Well, I'm at 15 and a half. There was one I started and then he had to leave for like six months. And I've been trying to get him since the holidays. I don't know if it's going to finish. So I might only have 15. It's Again, it's like the struggle of this where it's like it's so many different like juggling all these different aspects where you like one day it's amazing. And the next day you're like, Oh my God, I'm never going to get this done. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been incredible. Like, and to have the people who have spoken to me, like take the time and, you know, put their trust in me has been awesome. Like I, I couldn't ask for a, a better group of people to have been able to work with. Right. Which is, that's always, that's always yeah. a plus <laughs> when you can, when you actually love what you're doing and the people around you are good to be around. I've having I mean, I was in bands and stuff and you know, punk bands and hardcore bands earlier in life and I've been in groups where nobody liked each other. Like once oh, you actually never... started to do something together, you were like everybody in this room is a pompous ass. And I'm pretty sure they think I'm a pompous ass. Or, you know, like, or just, you just didn't get along with somebody and a project falls apart, but I've been in stuff where everything clicked, and yeah, it's it's amazing when you can basically, like, form, like, Voltron on a project, and, <laughs> like, knock now I w- Now I want to make a, a, a horror Voltron now. I'd have to figure out who, who all the components of horror Voltron would be. Leprechaun needs to be the pilot. He <laughs> well, he's to, too tiny to be the legs, so. right? But he needs to—he needs to be like the one in in the head calling the shots. <laughs> I mean, Gunnar Hansen and um. Well, I don't know. You wouldn't want Bub to be the brain. No, probably not. Oh, He'd probably be a good arm, though. You started a bad conversation. <laughs> It's the story of my life. I could go on this all night. Let's see. Who would make a good horror of Ultron? Um, That'd be a cool series. You'd do like a Power Ranger style horror anthology where they all team up and then have a giant robot they all get into that represents them all individually. 
Mm, now that's that's something to think about. Who would your horror Voltron be? Interesting. I would, we, might, we might have created something here. This I would is, definitely have Leatherface as my trunk. <laughs> like the Gunner Hansen Le- Leatherface as my trunk. That dude's giant and solid. Yeah. I would definitely he, want uh, Rob Zombie to be our Zordon. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, he's a guy who gets way too much crap. I'm a, I'm a big zombie fan, so people need to just chill on, on Rob Zombie. Here's the thing. I realize, um, maybe not every album, but the Astro Creep 3000 album, the one that had more human than human and all that on it, um, I don't think people understand how deep the references for his songs are. Oh, no, totally not at all. The fact that the song More Human Than Human is a love letter to Blade Runner. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's like if if you were a kid, like, growing up and you went to see White Zombie, like, for a lot of those kids, that was sort of, like, perhaps their introduction into cult horror movies. Right. You um, know what I mean? Because his, his shows were so, like, sensory-centered, like, you know, so there was always video clips and crazy big blow-ups. Like, mm-hmm. I remember... My gift to my ex for high school graduation is that we went to see, oh boy, it was White Zombie, I want to say Pantera and Deftones. God, I love Deftones. And that was a a crazy show, but I think that was the first time where I realized, like, that there probably isn't a bigger horror fan on this planet than Rob Zombie. No, I mean, one of his main lyrics on that album is, who will survive and what will be left of them. And nobody gets, like, any of the movie references that I've ever known that was like, oh, yeah, da-da-da-da-da. Like, you pointed out to yeah. them, and they start going over lyrics in their head, and they're like, oh. I'm like, yeah, you understand that that's a tagline for, like, a major movie, right? And they're like, what? I'm yeah. like, just type in who will survive and what will be left of them and watch what <laughs> movie comes up. And then don't talk to me for a little while because I'm ashamed of you. <laughs> like, so but, yeah, true. like... The, the other day I was on my lunch break and um, I've got the Plex app on my phone and me and all my friends, we bank all our stuff together. So there's like a monster account and then we've got like all our TV shows and all our movies and all our music, like everything we digitally own goes into this one server and we all just share it. And I was watching Blade Runner on my lunch because, you know, that's what grown people do. And like the lyrics to more human than human started jumping into my head with almost everything that was being said on screen. And I was like, Holy crap. That song is a love letter to blade runner. That is freaking crazy. Yeah. I mean, like, and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. You know, and I think that's also one of the things like that I, I really learned with horror is that, you know, in retrospect, like there's probably a lot more going on with movies and stuff like that, like than we realize, and that's that's why I'm always trying to not sort of do that knee jerk reaction that is so popular these days, because yeah, maybe you don't love a movie the first time you've seen it, but like give it some time, and I'm not saying you're gonna be a fan of it, but at least give it a shot and see if there's something else in there that you might find of value. Right. Uh, because I, I actually I I did a one eighty you know a one eighty on House of Thousand Corpses. Uh, the first time I saw it was I hated it. Really? And I was just like, yeah. Well, also my I had a friend who had a panic attack during it too, so it was just like a really weird experience. Um, but a yeah, so it was, huh? 
Was it was it a little too violent, or is something that it was a lot sensory wise? And right. it's, it's actually a movie that put her on anxiety meds. Um, Holy crap! Really? Yeah, because of that movie, she ended up. Uh, she's I, I I don't talk to her anymore, but I know at least for the ten years after that, I did talk to her. She was still on anxiety meds because of House of Thousand Corpses. She couldn't handle that, Doctor Satan. Yeah, you know Chris Hardwick. He'll he'll get you. Oh well, yeah. I, well, he's the one that gets turned into the fish, right? No, that's Rain Wilson. Uh, that he's is Rain the one that Wilson. gets. Yeah, he's the one that gets scalped by Baby. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then yep. tossed into the box down yep. in Doctor Satan's lair. Oh, Doctor Satan! That movie is so jacked up. <laughs> it is. I love it though. I, I, I love it now. I just remember laughing. At the whole Stifler's mom bit in every American Pie movie, because I'm like, that's the same chick. She's way scarier than just some like rich douchebag's mom. Like well, I way more appreciated her in House of a Thousand Corpses than like anything else she was in. Well, um, not not to so to- totally be that guy, but you know that's Karen Black, right? Yeah. Okay, because Karen Black wasn't Stifler's mom. Oh, I thought it was the same. No, 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 no. There, I know who you're thinking of, and I'm totally blanking on the actress's name, but she was also in, like, the... She was in the movie... Um, I think she was in Legally Blonde as well. I would not know that at all. Yeah, I'm trying to totally remember who Stifler's mom is. Oh, my God, I really thought it was for, like, ever. I thought it was the same woman. No, I, it's 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 funny though because it's sort of playing that same uh, archetype. But that's actually uh, Jennifer Coolidge. I just got my my. Uh, there you go. Got it up, but yeah, she's uh, she's done some other really fun stuff. Oh, you know what it is? I accidentally watched part of an episode of Two Broke Girls, uh, and I say accidentally because accidentally. Um, but she's uh, she's on that, and I also was at the vet the other day, and they had a Cinderella story on. With Hilary Duff and Chad Michael Murray, who I actually forgot was a thing, um, and I was like, "Wait, she's the evil, the evil stepmother." That makes so much sense. Um, but I think she's an actress who got, who was probably better than a lot of the uh, the roles that she ever got to to play. So, but yeah, I, I get the I get the uh, the correlation though, because uh, totally maybe maybe she was, was uh, maybe she was mo- maybe uh, Karen Black's character was modeled on her, so. I, that's I've never I, that would be a question for Rob Zombie because you know American Pie I think was ninety nine so there yeah, there's a possibility. I, I I just know that I liked um, I'm one of those people I liked Devil's Rejects more than House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh yeah, me too. Wink. But uh, but that's basically like saying that I love filet mignon rather than like a center cut sirloin. Like it's just because it's a better cut of meat. Well, <laughs> I've actually excellent. had people like argue with me about that. That they oh, were that's just like, crazy. yeah, and I'm like, no, that's a way better movie. Um, the scene with the with the car, not the ending scene, not the going on to our glory against the uh, entire highway patrol scene, but the um, the one where Spalding's needing the car, and he. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, with, with PJ Souls. Yeah, I'm actually okay with the ending, too, though. Uh, oh, I, I love the ending. I thought it was yeah. great. Yeah, if there was ever one where I'm like, okay, you know, if you, you get a free pass on Freebird, like, that's that's the movie that gets it for me. Exactly. So. Exactly. 
But no, I mean, I, 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 I didn't get. I haven't seen his cut, uh, his take on Halloween. Um, I didn't. I didn't see the. Uh, did he do two Rob Zombie? I know he. I know <laughs> yeah. he. Yeah, he, he did. did yeah. He did both Halloween movies, and then that's um, right. I haven't watched those. I'm not even going to pretend like I'm as up on everything as I should be for certain stuff. But I haven't watched those. But I have watched um, Devil's Rejects House of a Thousand Corpses. I know there's the Lords of Salem. Lords of Salem is amazing. I've it's been basically told I need like. To watch that. It's like his sort of, I would call it his Suspiria. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and it also was a movie that made me fall totally in love with Jeff, Jeff Daniel Phillips. Um, 31 is a mixed bag because I know there's a good version of that movie um, that I saw at Sundance, and then they re-edited everything, and it uh, just turned really clunky, um, and so it made me dislike it, but uh, it, it doesn't matter. I will always show up for a Rob Zombie movie. See, I've kind of fallen out of all the modern horror stuff. Um, I kind of, like, wrote it off. Um, once The Ring and The Grudge and everything, like, took over the world, and I watched both of them and found them to be absolutely stupid. For me. That doesn't mean everybody else has to think they're bad movies. But for me, um, that level of horror stuff that took over forever kind of took me out of it. I, I, I love my old school stuff. Um like I said, when you said Dario Argento, I was like, "Whoo!" Inside, um, but did you did you get the new Steelbook? No. The uh, the new Blu-ray. No. Yeah, the Synapse has that 4K Blu-ray, and it is amazing because it's it's basically the version that they were showing in theaters this year, and it will change your life. Really? Yeah, it's it's amazing. Okay, I will do that this weekend. Whenever there's a good thing that comes recommended, most definitely. But uh, I think, like, the, the newest horror movie I watched, honestly, was Get Out. Okay. And, I mean, I dug it for what it was. I wouldn't necessarily call it a horror movie. But, I mean... But I'm more of a... Old-school slasher, um, you know, like, Romero is my hero kind of horror guy. Um... So a lot of the new stuff I couldn't even pretend to talk about because I would just sound like a person who doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so like, and I, and I know that there's like this huge slew of stuff coming out too. And every time I see something for something, I don't know, it just doesn't get my it doesn't get my interest up like the movies used to. But I'm like that with almost every genre of, of movie and TV now. I'm becoming a curmudgeon, and I'm like seeing my dad, a lot of my dad and myself, of like, all this new stuff was coming out when I was a teenager and I was a kid, and he was like, ah, I'd rather sit and watch Silver Streak. <laughs> you know, like, oh, <laughs> I'd rather watch... Silver Streak. Right, but, but you know what I mean? Like, he, he reached a point where he didn't really move past at that. Like, everything else was kind of like, eh, and I, I'm kind of seeing myself getting there. I saw a Day of the Dead, there's... I thought they already did a remake of Day of the Dead. Yeah, this is like a new, new remake. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, see, no, why? Why? Nobody asked for that. Have, have you ever, you know, I, I don't know if you can still find it on the internet, um, but there there was a website where you could actually read um, Romero's original script for Day of the Dead. Oh, really? Is, yeah, it's a completely different story. 
it's 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 like there's no I mean for how good Day of the Dead is the studio you know because Night became a sensation and Dawn was such a cult classic like instantly that he got the budget and the you know the studio recognition for Day of the Dead the only problem is because it wasn't Romero doing punk rock cinema like I'm just going to do it myself and hire all my friends in Pittsburgh and we're just going to make these movies because he was actually working with like a full studio for Day of the Dead like they just kind of kept whittling stuff down and he ended up completely rewriting it and what we see is the second version of Day of the Dead the way he envisioned it the first version is completely different I think it starts with like three drug smugglers on a boat trying to get to an island or something like oh, that. Oh, interesting. It's like, yeah, it's like a completely different... And they put up the whole script. You can read the whole thing. And it's like this just completely different movie than The Day of the Dead that we know. And I read it once, and I meant to print it off years ago, and I don't even know if you can still find it, but I know it was available, like, in a PDF, and you could just read it page by page. And, like, even... Oh, his, interesting. Even Land of the Dead, like, that one kind of broke my heart. I was super excited for that, and then I. Oh, I love it. Land of the Dead, though. Uh, there's. I parts. do. It's there's no, parts. You know, yeah, I don't know. I'm a I'm a big fan of the evolving zombie, the the Dennis Hopperness, John Leguizamo getting a prominent role. I was I was all on board for that. I I checked out on Diary. Diary and Survival for me were really terrible. I watched uh, Diary one night. I just couldn't sleep, and it was on one some streaming service I had for a little while. And yeah, I I couldn't finish it. I couldn't. I tried, but see, I I don't know what it was like. Land of the Dead didn't connect with me in some ways. Um, I think what broke it for me is the one, the one priest zombie. And this will let you know that I've watched it. I'm not just saying I didn't like it. The one priest zombie that gets the big Samoan guy in the car. Like, the special effects on that scene are just horrible. Oh, yeah. That was just horrible. Like, But I liked the um, the evolving zombie thing was my favorite part of that whole movie. Like, that that, that whole aspect, that was the one part that I liked the most out of the whole thing. Um, I didn't yeah, really I like the... Simon Baker's character. Um, oh, I was okay. I, li- I, I, I liked Leguizamos. Com- I really liked Leguizamos. The whole, like, screw you rich people, fine. I'll burn your whole society down. You yeah, I was also... <laughs> yeah, I was also a big fan of, like, watching the them come out of the water just because we hadn't had that image yet. So it was very... That was sort of, I think, his hat tip to Apocalypse Now, I want to say. Totally could see that. Yeah, like, th- th- I mean, it was the first... It was the first movie of his that I watched where I actually rooted... For the <laughs> the zombie over the people, um, I mean, it, I did root for the. I, I my favorite part is when he when he came out with the uh, he knocks the one guy off and takes his gun and then you know like almost reteaches himself how to use it and then like you can see him. Yeah, like the, the, the tumblers are all falling into place. Right, and then you actually see him, like, almost get embarrassed for what zombies were. 
you know, like when he sees them doing certain stuff, if you watch, like, there's a lot of nuance to that one character, that one, I don't, I mean, I will call it a walker, I guess, whatever, I know the Walking Dead owns that word, but, like, the, 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 the gas station attendant zombie, okay, um, there's so much nuance in his character throughout that whole movie. Like, he he's actually, like, starts correcting the other zombies around him. And he's, like, there are certain things that they do where you can, you can almost see it even through the makeup, like, on his face that he's supposed to be embarrassed for what they are. Yeah. And that he, no, you know what right. I mean? Like, yeah, th- I thought that was a really cool touch. Like, when they all approach one of those walls and they're all just, like, clawing at it with their hands and he, like, picks up a rock and puts it in one of their hands and, like, guides him with his hand to, like, show him to hit the thing with the thing, (laughs) you know? And then, like, he gives, like, a hammer to the other guy. He's like, hit the thing with the thing. Don't just stand there and scrape at the wall. That's why they have us strung up upside down for target practice. (laughs) You know, like... Yeah, no, totally. It was really cool to watch that, which which it played off of, you know, the, the super heavy theme. I mean, he did that in... In Day of the Dead, um, with the Bub character, which that's like my favorite storyline out of any zombie-related movie, even ones that Romero didn't do. The, the the whole Bub thing is probably one of my favorite. You know. Oh, and it's it's so hard. Like it's just so much. Like there's such an emotion to that character too, which is why I think it's it's a character that we still talk about. Yeah, like you could totally tell that he was a soldier. In, in, in his human life. Because as soon as he sees Rhodes the first time, he snaps to a salute. Yeah. You know, you know, he knows how to clear the chamber of the weapon as soon as he picks it up. He obviously knows how to aim because he's a really good shot. You know, so like, yeah, it, it made you, it gave you the opportunity to like come up with your own interpreta- interpretative backstory for Bub, and I guarantee you, like, everybody will have similar things, but everybody who watches that movie, the story will be different. It'll just have similar themes on what they think of Bub and what Bub was before, which is always, I don't know. I just, he's, he's, he's one, like, one of my favorite characters from any movie ever, of, of any genre, is Bub from Day of the Dead. Well, it'll be exciting that we get a whole new Bub to enjoy this year. No, did that's, you see that's the sarcasm. trailer? They make no, I didn't watch the trailer. I, I rarely, honestly, because I get so few surprises in this line of work, I don't watch trailers because I just, right. I just want to go and experience movies, but I'm not going to watch that movie anyway because I just don't really care. <laughs> well, like, so. I, I watched it because I was like, oh, they're going to do another, I was, and I remember they did like a crappy Day of the Dead remake, and I haven't watched it, I just know... It's up on Netflix sometimes, and just that DVD case photo or whatever Netflix has is enough for me to be like, yeah, that's not happening. Um, but in the cut for this, it looks like they're going to make Bub evil. Huh, that's interesting. Right, I, I don't like, like, right, like they're going to show him have the intelligence from... The original movie, but they're going to make him like a malevolent character. Like mm. it, it, they make it look like he turns on the good guys in the tra- and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, don't, don't you dare break that character for me. 
there, there have been so many remakes that have almost destroyed things that should be loved and cherished and left the crap alone. Like, don't destroy that one. Well, I look, I look at it this way. I've made it through the Point Break remake, so and nobody ever talks about the Point Break remake anymore. I haven't so seen really, it. nobody's going to talk about this movie in in like a month. So you'll be safe. <laughs> oh, I'm tough enough. I could take it. But no, um, I haven't seen the Point Break remake. Uh, I haven't either. Oh, uh, and I okay. Well, never will. <laughs> I probably never will. I don't blame you. That movie was great. It really was. The original, it was great. There, yeah, they, no, it, it's been a big part of my life for a long time. Really? Yeah. Wow. So if somebody randomly in a crowd said, people die, Brody, you're going down, you'd like have a moment? Oh, yeah. I could I could pretty much recite the rest of that scene uh, <laughs> on, on a whim. Like, if you ever needed a one-person... Pl- one person play of Point Break done, I would be the person you'd have to go to because I could do it. That's me with Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard's a good one. We get and that Terminator later. Two. <laughs> not 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 too shabby of a, a, a films there. No, uh, but have you seen? Okay, so I I don't mean to write off all the new stuff coming out. I did watch Last Train to Busan recently. Uh, have you seen that? Yeah, I saw that one. I liked it. Oh, my God. You realize there's no guns in that until the very end? Yeah. It's an entire zombie movie with no guns until the end. And then they don't even fire it. Like, I think they kill, like, two or three, and then that's it. Like, good on them for figuring out how to make, like, an almost two-hour zombie movie work that has, like, zero gunplay in it at all. And I'm I'm not an anti-gun person at all. I've got a lot in the house. But I just thought it was such a cool take to do a zombie movie and have it be like whatever would literally just be in a train car to get would through. Would be your only your only line of defense, yeah. No, it was great. Yeah, I um, it's uh, I, I really started to kind of get into more of like sort of the Asian horror these years over the last couple of years, just because I realized like you know South Korea and Japan. You know, they're they're doing so many amazing films over there. Like, there's some really great stuff that's coming out of Thailand these days. Really? Um, and it's really, yeah, it's really turned me on to, like, a lot of cool stuff. And they, they, some of their action movies over there are insane. Like, The Villainous came out last year. Yep. And that is, like, there's a few moments in that movie. I don't even know on a technical level how they pulled it off. Um, and even The Wailing was a movie that was, like, two and a half hours long. And I was like, oh, dear God, going into it. And when it was done, I was ready to watch it all over again. Um, so there's just really good stuff, and of course you know you have like Park Chan Wook and guys like that over there keeping busy. Um, so there's there's always really fun stuff. But yeah, Train to Busan was a really fun. Uh, I, I discovered it very late last year, um, so it didn't make my my favorite list of last year. But yeah, I I love that one. The, the one scene where they where the they first pour into the car, and there's like this. I, I don't know how to. It looks like a hand grenade goes off. And then it goes back to, like, them just, like, streaming forward. There's, like, this push of bodies. And it's, like, a two-second shot in the movie. And I'm such a dork that that's what I fell in love with out of the whole movie. Like, my favorite scene is the most, like, everybody else being like, yeah, okay. But the, the zombies break through and they're coming into one of the cars. And there's just, like, this push. And it literally looks like a human hand grenade goes off. Like, it swells. Like, they... 
they fill the walls and they go all the way up to the roof of the car and then it like instantly just like dies back down and it's just them in a line again and that like that part was like the coolest part to me in the whole thing yeah i'm i'm also somebody who sort of fixates on like certain details over like maybe the bigger picture of stuff so i i totally get that right like i i noticed that and like i my friends have all watched it and i'm like yeah the part with the the thing and they're like you mean the part where they entered the car and I'm like, no, you don't understand how cool that part was. Go back and watch it again. Because they do, like, this really cool, like, sudden surge thing. And then it goes back to normal in, like, two seconds. So, yeah, that that's me when I watch a movie. I'm sure that's really fun for everyone around me. Watch <laughs> it. <laughs> but have you seen, um, like I said, this isn't, like, a interview thing. That's why I let you do... I said, now I'm just going to nerd out on, on horror movies with you for a little while. Um, have you seen The Girl Without the Gifts? I did. I actually saw that at Fantastic Fest last, uh, 2016, I think it was. Um, and yeah, because I, I, I know there's a book. I didn't read the book. I um, But I was really taken with, you know, taking something very familiar, giving it a very different spin, and then also really finding the emotion there um was just really nice like i it was just a very unexpected because i'm i'm pretty much over zombie movies um mm-hmm. i need something to kind of keep me interested like i for example like it stains the sands red um came out a few months ago and i really liked that because it's basically a girl being you know chased by one zombie through the desert and that's pretty much the most of the movie um really? and it yeah, and it turns into this weird sort of buddy movie by the end, um, and I really liked that about it. It's very different, uh, but I really enjoyed that one. See, yeah, I like, I'm the same way. I kind of like movies that aren't on everybody's radar, and I don't mean it like I'm wearing a fedora and talking about vinyl being better than other music. What I mean is like, I fell in love with, um, and it came out years ago, and I missed it until a couple of years ago. Me and my wife watched it and adored it. Is uh, Rory Cochran um, did this movie called Right at Your Door. And I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I haven't seen that one. You need to. It's really, uh, it's, um, I think Melora, Melora, no, it's not Melora Waters. It's not. Um it's it's funny enough. It's the mom from Dickie Roberts. Oh yeah! Oh the my The mom gosh. from that. Right. She um. She works in downtown Los Angeles, and he's a musician. And terrorists set off um, dirty bombs. So the whole movie is like. He has to like seal the. I I, I don't want to tell you. He has to seal the house. And she can't get back in time before he seals the house. So, like, it's this whole thing of, like, not being able to let her all the way in the house. And the whole movie, you're waiting for her to start having the symptoms because everybody who was near the blast zones, it's all radiation poisoning stuff is happening. But it's all done from almost, like, inside the house. Like, you don't even see the bombs. You see, like the clouds of them in the horizon, like twice through the whole movie when he looks towards the city from his house. So it's this whole like real small cast, real insular, almost claustrophobic because he had to seal himself in his house. And it's, it's not 
it's not like a horror movie per se, but it was just really good. And the ending to it, you're just like, whoever you're watching it with, you're going to look at them and be like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like at the end. And yeah, see, I, I'm trying to find more and more movies like that. Um, and, well, they're, they're, they're out there. I mean, you know, again, as somebody who has to endure like 300 movies a year, you know, for me, the biggest thing is I just want something that surprises me because it doesn't happen very often. Because um, I don't watch horror movies to be scared necessarily. Nothing right. in a movie really scares me. Um, but, you know, so I'm just looking for something that can make me think about things in a different way or, you know, take me back to a place and do it, you know, in an effective way or something like that. Like, you know, if I'm watching, you know, a movie like, say, Tragedy Girls versus something like, you know, the new It, like, I'm watching those movies for very different reasons. And what did you think of the new It? I loved it. I actually, uh, I saw it three different times in theaters. Like, I saw the press screening for it, and then uh, I we went and saw, saw it regular. Um, or actually, I saw it, I actually saw it originally, um, I totally forgot this, um, over the summer because they wanted some initial thoughts. Uh, and then we went to the press screening, and I brought my, my boyfriend with, um, who had a miserable time with it because press people are the worst. Um, we really are. And people just were, like, talking and screaming unnecessarily during it. And I was like, you know, come on, you're all grown-ups here. Um, and then we actually, I got an offer to try to go see it basically in 4DX, um, which was really freaking cool. It's not a movie, like, it's not a format I would see, you know, on a, you know every movie in. But if you've got a movie that you sort of want to feel like you're on a roller coaster, like, I imagine they do Star Wars. Is they probably do. Really they do. Star Wars is a huge 4D movie. They're, they're always running those if you can find a 4D place. Yeah, So, but I got to try it uh, in 4D, and one sort of changed his mind on the experience because there's only like six of us in the theater, so it was a much better experience. But two, it really made, like, because it made me far more aware of sort of some of the technical aspects of the film because you're moving, like, as the camera's moving and stuff. So there's a lot of that film where you really do feel like you're floating through the town. Um, but I do. I loved it. I mean, I, you know, as somebody who appreciates and has a fond affection for the miniseries, but I also recognize it has a lot of faults to it. Um, I wasn't super precious about them doing another, a new one. I just didn't want them to totally screw it up. But, you know, I love that it has messed up a whole new generation of kids. Like, you know, I can't think of a, a character in horror that I've sort of seen have this kind of resurgence ever. Um, as much as Pennywise? Yeah, I mean, it's it's everywhere. And it's, it's funny because, like, we go to, like, a lot of music festivals, a lot of 20-year-olds and stuff. So I'm sort of the old lady there who's not there with her kids. Um, <laughs> right. And... But like they like because like a lot of the festivals I go to like they'll have these things called totems where it's like you know ways of like groups of friends can find each other in big crowds or whatever. And honest to God, like this Halloween, like I saw maybe like thirty to forty Pennywise, and I was like, that's kind of cool because it's it's not a character that's just for us anymore. Like everybody has embraced him, so I feel like this is finally that moment where the character has taken that step where he has become the next Freddy. He has become the next person because we haven't had a character that has been able to sort of transcend, you know, right. in a meaningful way. Now, see, for me, I didn't. I've read the book um, as a kid, uh, you know, like when we first started talking, and I said, you know, movies 
and TV shows, the content was regulated. For some reason, books weren't. Right. So I had read it as a kid. Um, so, like, the TV movie thing, I actually didn't like. Because gotcha, it, okay. to, to, to me, it was just so tame. And I understand that it was like, what, maybe early 90s? Yeah, I believe it was TV uh, rules that they 91. were working with. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand. Like, there's, there's never going to be a version that can actually translate what goes on in those sewers when they're kids. Um, that, that part's always going to have to be glossed over. And I don't think it would lend itself <laughs> visually well um, when they really fight him. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I see that'll never make it. Uh, my only thing is, I don't know how they're going to explain. I think keeping all the adults out, or the adult versions of the kids out, completely was not really a good idea. Because the story is so centrally built on... We're having to go back and reliving the nightmare of why none of them were there anymore, except for Mike Hanlon, who, you know, like, that's, that's a big, it's a big center of the story that they just kind of, like, excised and separating it into two separate things, because if they're going to try to do that, then the next movie's going to be really flashback heavy of stuff that you've already seen. You know what I mean? Well, I don't I don't think so because only one there's still a lot of things we didn't see from sort of the childhood moments from the book, so there's a lot that they can do and frankly, I mean they're going to have to work fast before all those kids grow up anyway. Um, but yeah. I actually kind of like the way that they only because one it sort of separated itself from the miniseries in that fashion. Um, right. I think if they would have done that with the adults in the first movie, I don't. I think they would have gotten a lot of backlash because they basically were remaking the miniseries. Um, and I think because they knew at the core of the story was this childhood friendship, which is the power of what brings them back to the town. Um, I think by focusing on that, and also for a lot of us who grew up in that era, like it just sort of felt like watching you know you and your friends ride around on bikes or whatever. You know, during that time, because it, you know, that's it was me being a kid again. Um, right. So I'm okay with it. I think it's going to be all right. Um, but again, I think there's a lot of things that we didn't see in this first story that potentially could be tapped into, you know, for flashbacks for the sequel. Uh, but again, you know, as, as much as I realized, like, you know, doing this job, like, I never judge a book by its cover because, you know, for so like everybody was like all on Pennywise at the beginning of the year, and they're like, "Oh, this movie looks terrible," and "Oh, this and that." Yeah, no, I thought he realized, was awesome. The first trailer I saw I was like, "Stop motion animation freaks me out." So, the part where he ran at will in the cellar, and they did it in like digital, but stop motion animation, I was like, "Oh hell no." Nope, yeah. that's me pooping all my pants if I'm that kid. Like. I freeze and he eats me. There's no getting out of that cellar for me. <laughs> if he moves in stop motion animation, I am defecating and dying at the same time because nope. <laughs> and, and and that's what, I mean, you know, it was a concern for me, but not. it's not a condemnation on the next movie, but it's definitely a concern. I guess just because the book... Like has it, it it's it stays with you if you if you take the time to read that mono that like Leviathan of a novel, 
Like, it stays with you. Like, I don't know how they're going to do... I mean, unless they're going to kick off the next movie with Adrian Mellon being killed under the bridge, because that's really what starts the adult part of the storyline, is, you know, the there's this whole... And the miniseries didn't tackle it. There's this whole side story that takes place in the 80s when all the kids get called back. And um, there's, like... You know, and because it's a small town in Maine, it's, you know, the, like, one of only two gay guys in the whole town um, gets bullied and pushed off of a, a bridge into the water. And Pennywise is under the bridge and, like, in, like, full daylight where everyone can see him, like, bites this guy almost in half. And then, like, disappears. And, right. Right. Yeah. Like it, it, there's this whole, you know, and then it, and it's it's Henry Bowers friends, I think, without Henry Bowers around because Henry Bowers is in a mental institution as an adult. And, you know, so like there's all these chapters of like the police interviewing them on what they all saw and da 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 da. And so I don't know if, if that's going to be incorporated because they completely ignored it in the in the TV version of it like it wasn't even mentioned and it's like a huge part of the book because that's kind of what kicks everything off right well yeah and i mean in the miniseries also because of just budget and time like they had to basically ignore the niebold house um which then becomes like a central figure you know in this first film which was awesome you know so i mean it's you know it, it, it all becomes sort of you know your situation dictates like sort of these scenarios in the end um but yeah i mean there's there's so many more things that they could uh, go into, you know, in terms of this book, you know, in terms of the different timelines and stuff like that as well. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. And I'm, I'm excited to see what Andy's going to be able to do with it. I liked their version of the deadlights. Yeah, I mean, there's it's there's like so the many impossible things. the way he hypnotize people, because in the book he only does it as a spider. You know, he becomes the giant spider, which... Hats off to him for showing restraint and not throwing that at the audience in the first movie. You well, know? yeah, I mean, but, it, you know, the thing is about Pennywise is, like, he takes multiple forms. Right. Um, and the thing is, a lot of the forms that he takes, you know, the way that King wrote them are so impossible to, actu- like, actualize that, you know, it's, I don't know what they're going to do when they have to do that final showdown as them as, them as adults. Um, it'll be interesting. I'm I'm curious. Uh, I mean, they obviously hinted at the spider um, in they the finale did. of this. It so you know, we might see it in a different form. I'd be okay if we didn't. Um, I got like super happy when he had like the mantis looking arms for a second. I got yeah, like super happy. And then, well, I mean, I like that they had the the the, the leprous vagabond oh, chasing right. yeah, Eddie because yeah, like that's a huge. I think that's why Pennywise works so well is because you're, it's not just a clown. Like almost everybody's scared of clowns. It's like the biggest joke in everything is that, Oh, everyone's scared of clowns, but you know, like the fear of clowns, the fear of spiders. And then like everything else he is to the rest of them, you know, like, um, you know, uh, Haystack Calhoun, you know, the, the, the big kid, um, I only know his book nickname, Haystack Calhoun. It's always stuck with me. That's like the funniest nickname I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> his, his monster is his dad, 
who died in Vietnam. You know, like hers is hers is a different version of her father. He comes to her as, um, you know, Bill's is a Georgie and B the clown, and they. This movie got the characters way more accurate than the other one did, and that's something I appreciated. They took their time to, to, to get the kids right because it's so important to the story to get the kids right. Um, Mike Hanlon's story was like, that kid stuck out to me through the whole movie because he's my favorite character in the book. He's the one who stays. Um, he was the one who had the hardest out of all of them, except for Beverly. You know, because of her dad. Um, so, like, they got his character 100% right as a kid. And that's, I mean, I, I loved the movie. There, uh, There's always going to be some things because, unfortunately, I'm in the camp of, well, the book said. And I don't like those people, but I will just as quickly become that person. That's why you will never see me sit down and watch The Dark Tower. Because screw you guys on what you did to that, from what I've heard. Um, that's probably the, one of the most beloved things in my entire life was the Dark Tower books. Um, I read them from maybe middle school, and he wrote the last one in the 2000s. So pretty much my whole literate, you know, literate life, I had this book series, and they turned it into an hour and a half movie that literally has nothing to do with any of those books, other than like names. And references. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I actually I've never I never dove into the the Dark Tower books just because they were it was a very daunting task and it I have is. so it's movies have have consumed my life in a way that I b- barely get through maybe two to three books a year these days. Um, I've always wanted to get into them and one day I will, but yeah, I uh, I just haven't had a chance yet. I missed the movie though, uh, simply because I just I was like, well, if I'm going to read the books, I definitely don't want to see the movie. You really don't, because the movie will make you mad. Because those books are... I mean, and I'm talking to somebody who does love them, but the, there, there's there's so many different levels to that book that you really can't, like, describe to people what they're getting into when they go to read it. Because you start telling them, well, you know, it's, it's different dimensions... Um, it's super future, but also super past at the same time. There's a nuclear apocalypse in the middle of it. Uh, there's multiple versions of our world, different versions of his world. Um, some of the books go back in time. Some of the books go forward. Uh, there's different versions of the same characters. There's different this. It starts to overlap. And Stephen King puts himself in as himself toward the end. And it's a scathing indictment of himself. I'll give him anything for being, uh, give him a lot of credit for being honest. His character in the book is probably one of the most unlikable characters out of seven giant books. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he, he, I mean, he does. He writes himself as a petulant coward in them. It's, it's kind of like, I mean, you got to respect him for that. I mean, he's obviously got a little bit of a honesty about himself because he does he writes himself as like you literally want to skip past any chapter that he's in because you're just like ugh. yeah no it's it's i think with you know when you're a guy like him you almost have to at that point because one i mean if you go back and even just watch the maximum overdrive trailer i think he knows where he's been in his life and what he's 
come away from. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. Stephen King now is much better than maybe Stephen King was, you know, in the 80s. A more, a more realized version of himself, I should, I should say. No, I think the problem is, is that he sold rights to certain things to the wrong people. Because yeah. there aren't a lot of good translations of his books. And the ones that are, are usually ones you didn't even know were his or hadn't really heard of. Like their take on the dark half, which is, you don't hear people talking about that movie like you hear them talk about, you know, some of his other movies. And, you know, the dark half was a great translation of an awesome book that he wrote that not a lot of people talk about. But then you get stuff like um, The Mist, which was just horrible. Um, They didn't have the guts to give it the right ending. Same thing with Cujo. Cujo is a horrifying movie, but they, the studio didn't have the guts to tell his story the way he wrote it. They completely backed off at the end. Um, nobody makes it out of that car alive in the book. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You know, like yeah, like the myth. They they do a thing, and you're like, no, that's not the ending. Sack up and actually do the ending the right way. Don't take on a property if you're going to be too scared to give it its ending. Um, but, like, stand by me. I, as a kid, I didn't know that was one of his. Until I did. I, I think it was just because was, he was super, uh, he was, like, a super huge figure in our house. Because, like, my mom had stacks of books of his and stuff. So. Right. But, uh, I yeah. Him, but I never got his short story collections. So I didn't know there was a short story called The Body. You know, so like right. as a kid, I didn't know that was his, but I absolutely adored that movie. Right. But looking back on it, I probably should have picked up that. Yeah, that was definitely his because he writes child trauma way better than anybody else. Right. Like I know he's known for monsters and scary, but at the core of like almost all of his books, it's all like childhood fears and traumas realized. Like that. That's like his thing. Is like whatever would have absolutely destroyed you as a child, he makes it real in his books. Right? I know. It's like, what happened to you as a child, Stephen <sighs> King? Who hurt you? Who hurt you, little author from Maine? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I don't know. I just, I went with my, I, I went with my, my oldest daughter, who's about to turn 20 tomorrow, um, and she, she'd never read the book, and I think she'd only seen bits and parts of the old it so watching it knowing everything that I know and having read it and loved it my whole life and then watching it click with her with her not having those associations so like this is her version of it you you know what I mean and seeing how much she liked it was kind of cool to see how much she dug it because that's her version of it she doesn't have anything else before that she just like saw a horror movie and really wanted to go and then she ended up loving it, and we got to talk about it, which let me talk about the book to her and tell all the things that they didn't put in and, you know, and where they could go with it and what the next one might be like. And so, yeah, like, that that part was cool, getting to watch her get her own version of Pennywise from the way they did it in the movie. And then, yeah. Yeah. That, like and that's hearing, what it's all about. Right. I, 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 with my kids, I raised them backwards. Um, my wife and I, we don't force it on them. They can like whatever they want. But we, they're definitely heavily influenced by the stuff that we loved. 
and still love. You know, um, my 11-year-old would rather sit down and watch Gem than anything that's on Cartoon Network now. To the point where at like nine years old, she actually got mad at the Gem movie for being so unfaithful to Gem. <laughs> like, have you ever watched a nine-year-old completely become Gene Shalit and rip a movie apart? <laughs> I at haven't, like, but I would. <laughs> at like nine years old, stand up in a room and do what you and I have as adults and completely pontificate on why a movie is complete garbage and a betrayal. And she's like doing it with a nine-year-old lisp still in her voice, only being like four feet tall. Like it was amazing to watch her diatribe about the Gem movie because we've raised her on the stuff we loved. That like she likes some of the new music that's coming out. You know, she likes she likes pop music a little bit, but you put on you know something from the '80s or '90s and watch her face completely light up. Well, that's and, awesome. That means you're yeah, raising like, her right. You raised her right. We try. <laughs> I just think our childhoods were way cooler than theirs were able to be. They were. They were. We were so free. And, like, not everything had to be scrutinized down to, well, whose feelings could this hurt? Who's not being this? Who's not? I, I actually never knew that there was an apparent diversity problem until the past couple of years. Because... I mean, loving George Romero movies, he always had, until Day of the Dead, he always had a strong black lead. You know, I loved horror movies in the 90s, and Tony Todd was in, like, everything. And, you know, John Singleton was making movies, and this guy was making movies, and this guy was... So I didn't realize that there was this apparent problem. So, like... I guess I we we got to grow up just being able to enjoy things, you know, like not yeah. Everything, Nobody enjoys anything anymore, right? Like not everything became a political dumpster fire, and tribes lining up to like chuck weapons at each other over stuff that doesn't matter. And so, like, I try to like show them stuff from that era so they can see that people were happy. Like we can get that back, where people are happy. And things can just be things. You know, like... I don't know. Like, it, it just... What, what, what you said when we first started talking just really stuck with me, like... That part of what you're having to worry about is... Is a, a representation thing. And I understand completely that I'm sure it, it was a horrible boys club back then because I'm you know I mean look at the movies that, that were coming out and stuff and yeah as a guy I, I'm it's not something I'm going to think about but like being the only guy in my house and having two daughters and a wife it definitely and I and I grew up with all brothers too so it definitely lent itself to me seeing things a little differently like not in a, not in like a, a left wing social justice way. For 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 women, but definitely seeing that like. It shouldn't be weird, for my daughters to like certain things, that are supposed right. to be like you know what I mean. Like, it shouldn't be, weird that. They like comic books. 
it, it shouldn't be weird to the boys they go to school with that like things are that they like certain things and da da da. So I mean, it. I definitely understand the representation thing. I just I don't see why it sh it it should be such a negative point for so many people. You know what I mean? Like it, it shouldn't be a source of stress. Yeah, I, I mean, like there's there's, sucks, there's so much everything. stress in this world. Like, it's almost hard to compartmentalize what we should be worried about or not. So, you know, it's one of those where I'm just like, okay, like, you know, <sighs> I don't know. I just want to get through 2018 at this point. That's that's literally the only thing I could think of at the, these days. Me too. I've actually we've kind of like cut news and politics out of the house, like completely. And if I mean you follow me, so I'm sure you see something sometimes that are eyebrow raising. Um, I, I am known to take off after people for being stupid in public with their internets. And I mean I get in arguments with people, but by and large, like we've cut all that stuff out of the house because if you don't, we're literally every year now is is the last year that humans are going to be on the face of this planet because everything kills you, everything's bad for you. And both political parties want the other political party to die in some horrible fire. So, like, we've cut all that out of the <laughs> we like cut all that out of the house and focused more on like and, um, music and movies and stuff that we can actually like enjoy together and then talk about. Like all that stuff that goes on outside kind of like stays there now, because for a while we were pretty wrapped up in it, and it it stays with you. Like, the ick of society today, like, it's like oil on a duck. Like, it just gets into the feather. Like, there's no way you need some sort of, like, dawn detergent in your life to, like, wash it off. And so, like, you know, I mean, and, and that's another reason why the podcast is called the Happy Haven Podcast. Like, I don't ever plan to make money from this thing, but if whenever somebody sees a new episode come up, they can listen to it and forget about everything else and just enjoy the people who are gracious enough to talk to me and it gives them an hour and a half, two hour break, then that's what this whole thing is for, for me, you know? Yeah. Like having you on to talk about writing and then how how like how fun it was and challenging but how rewarding it was and then to hear us like geek out over horror movies for a little while afterwards and they don't have to think about everything else that's going on like you know that's the whole point of the show and and i mean it does it for me while i'm doing the episodes but my whole intention of putting them out is a to get to talk to badass people like you and the other people i get to talk to but b like podcasts are my escape when I'm at work or when I'm driving or whatever and I wanted to take what I love and mix it with what relaxes me and put it out for other people to have you know what I mean yeah totally yeah and I think that, that that's kind of like what what you did with you know like your book would do that for me that's why I'm probably going to go pick it up this weekend if not I will pre-order it and have it delivered to the house because we're about to get an ice storm here, apparently. Atlanta's going to be under a deep freeze. Oh, so if dear If I can't Lord. leave the house, I'm going to order it. If I can't go get it tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, And I will send you a picture when I get it, so you know I'm not just BSing. Um, it's like a book like that. That's, that's the kind of stuff that I'm focusing on. 
because it is stuff that like has nothing to do with any of that. It's just stuff that you love, and the the really cool little like stories behind how something you love was brought to you. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. And that's crazy. You guys are gonna have ice in Atlanta. You know, climate change isn't real. That's that's totally normal, right? We've already had five inches of snow in early December. Yeah, it's it's all normal, right? <laughs> Actually, you know, I mean, you got like this camp says this, this camp says that. Um, I always heard that we're actually due for a mini ice age, and uh, my parents are still in Massachusetts, and they're looking at a weekend of like negative 25, 28 degrees in Massachusetts. So I'm kind of on the, uh, you know, this old girl we live on is pretty strong and can fix herself at a moment's notice if she wants to. You know, people talk about, well, what about the oil spill? And I'm like, yeah, and then all that crazy naturally growing bacteria ate most of it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, like the ocean ate it. There was a giant oil spill, and yes, that's horrible. But the ocean ate it. A bacteria that scientists had really no idea about rose to the surface and ate most of the oil. So, like... I'm kind of in the camp that we're definitely probably heading towards a mini ice age. Um, there's snow in Florida right now. There's snow on the ground. My boss lives near Jacksonville, and they got like three to six inches of snow. Oh, that's crazy. Right? Like, in Atlanta, once or twice a year we'll get like a dusting. It does get cold here. Um, you know, I, I don't think people realize, like, in Atlanta, I mean, it, it freezes every night here. I've lived here uh, for over a decade, and every winter's been cold. You know, sometimes it's more mild than others, but we still get our nights of in the teens, in the 20s, in the 30s until March. Um, so it does get cold here. It's just this year, it's been really cold here. Um, so, you know, I mean, there a couple of years ago, my parents got 100 inches of snow in Massachusetts. Like, accumulative over the entire winter was like more than 100 inches of snow. That's unfathomable. Like, I don't even want to see what that wall looked like. I mean, no. my dad's, yeah, my dad said there were parking lots where they would, like, plow the snow and make, like, a giant pile in a giant parking lot cause, and to get it off the street. And he said that it was, like, June. There were still, like, a couple parking lots that had, like, these icebergs the sun just couldn't penetrate. Like, it, it took till almost the next year for that snow to melt. There was so much of it, and it hard-packed down so hard. What what you described is exactly why I moved. <laughs> Although yeah. in ten years it's probably going to be snowing here too, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, have they got all the fires out? Oh yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You probably yeah. like by the beginning of the year they did. So yeah, that was which was nice. To watch. Yeah, we it's it's pretty scary because it's, like, it's just there and there's nothing you can do about it. So. Um, but I actually have to jump off in a few minutes. Yeah, I actually saw how long I've kept you, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, no, Lord. no, that's okay, just because my other half needs, I, my power cord died on my laptop, and if he <laughs> comes in here to get it, the dog's going to freak out, and it becomes a whole thing, so I was like, okay. just give me a minute, and he just texted me, he's like, 5%, and like, I keep getting texts where he's like, 7%, and then he's like, 6%, and I was like, okay. I know, I know, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I felt bad, because I was like, oh, shoot, I'm like, I'm trying to like finish and keep him happy so i apologize no that's okay um if you want to just wrap up just tell everybody where they can find you and then i'll i'll just throw in i'll I'll throw an outro on 
Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, basically, uh, you can find me over on Twitter at and all my writing lives over at dailydead.com. And for anybody interested in uh, Monster Squad, they can follow the book along over at Twitter at Monster Squad F uh, X. That would be the letter F, the letter X. Um, I don't have a direct link for this, the book itself, but it's, you can find out more information on BearManorMedia.com, and it's also available on Amazon as well. Hooray! Woohoo! And I just realized something. We've talked for almost two hours. You've said Monster Squad like a bunch of times, and I haven't said Wolfman's Got Nards once. Missed. That's what life is. Missed opportunities, right? That's my favorite line from any movie ever in my entire life. <laughs> I actually saw a t-shirt website selling a t-shirt that said, Wolfman's got nards. And I looked at my wife and she was like, no, idiot, we're not spending money on that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but thank you for your time. And, um, you know, every guest I have on, I always tell them it's an open door whenever you want to come back on. You just let me know or I'll reach out occasionally and see if, if you've got a new project. Like you say, you've got the other book working that you're working on. So... I have an open door policy with anyone gracious enough to come on. So anytime you want to come back, you are more than welcome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Well, have a good re- weekend, too, and hopefully the uh, the ice isn't so bad. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> It'll be fine. I grew up in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm from Chicago, so I know how bad it gets, but... I also don't miss the days of, like, scraping my car or waiting it for it to warm up for 20 minutes before you can actually fathom sitting in it. So, you know, but again, like, that. you know, we've, yeah. we've got fires everywhere, so it, it all balances out. <laughs> that is true. That is true. All righty, ma'am. Well, you have a awesome. great night. All right. Thanks. You too. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. All right. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>